How can reading be a spiritual practice, and why is reading Kristen Lovren's daughter a good choice for this practice? Learn more on this episode where Dr. Jessica Hooten Wilson and I continue our discussion on Kristen Lovren's daughter in the trilogy Kristen Lovren's Daughter, and how reading about her spiritual journey affords us an opportunity to study and come to terms with our own. Welcome back to our conversation. Welcome to Fiction That Forms Us, stories that inspire us and practices that help us change. A podcast where we explore life-changing stories with characters whose journeys give us a vision for a better way of life. Through God's invitation and grace to practice spiritual disciplines, we can journey toward becoming fully human like Jesus as we live in the kingdom of God in the here and now. I'm your host, Christy Lahoda, and today we will continue our discussion on Kristen Lovren's Daughter from the book Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset. In the last episode, we talk about how, toward the end of her life, Kristen regrets that God had nearly always allowed her to follow her will. In the end, her sorrow brings her to repentance. Today, we discuss how reading about Kristen's spiritual journey throughout her lifetime, as she goes from vice to virtue, can be a spiritual practice for us. I'm joined again by professor and author, Dr. Jessica Hooten Wilson. Welcome back to our conversation. Okay, so back to her virtue. (laughs) What do you think that we can learn from her sanctification and, you know, just this spiritual journey, like the Christian journey? I think one of the other things that I've seen from a distance, because I don't know you, and this is the first time we've met, but from what you've written, I think you and I are both interested in in union with Christ Mm -hmm. and that sanctification. So... What do you think that we can learn from her journey yeah. throughout the course of the novel? I, I don't want to jump ahead too much in case you're wanting to like talk about the very end of it at the end, but that is where I would want to go. So you can tell me if that's okay to go yeah, there. That's fine. So at the very end, after she does this very saintly act, this love for this woman who's been left dead and unburied named Steinun. So she goes to offer a mass for her. And she realizes that as a woman in this convent, she's given all of her worldly possessions to them. So she has nothing left until she registers that she has a cross that her father gave her and a ring from her husband. And those are her two last treasures that she could actually surrender in order that masses be said for this, this woman who had no one and no money. And when she takes off the ring, it's this letting go of Erland that is so beautiful and so powerful. To me, this is the moment that, that touches me the most because it's not just her surrender, it's what's seen underneath it. She sees a scar where the ring has two rubies and has an M in the middle for the Virgin Mary. And when she takes it off, the scar of the M is still there. So God has literally wounded into her hand through the choices that she's made that he is still claiming her for his own. I'll read the passage real quick and then I'll just unpack that very quickly for the sake of time. But to me, it's the most beautiful passage in the book. It's near the very end. Uh, 11.22 from my giant tome of a (laughs) novel. The last clear thought that took shape in her mind was that she was going to die before the mark had time to fade and it made her happy. It seemed to her a mystery that she could not comprehend, but she was certain that God had held her firmly in a pact which had been made for her without her knowing it, from a love that had been poured over her, and in spite of her willfulness, in spite of her melancholy, earthbound heart, some of that love had stayed inside her, had worked on her like sun on the earth. 
had driven forth a crop that neither the fiercest fire of passion nor its stormiest anger could completely destroy. She had been a servant of God, a stubborn, defiant maid, most often an eye servant in her prayers and unfaithful in her heart, indolent and neglectful, impatient toward admonishment and constant in her deeds. And yet he had held her firmly in his service and under the glittering gold ring, a mark had been impressed upon her secretly showing she was his, owned by the Lord and King, who would now come, born on the consecrated hands of the priest, to give her release and salvation. So I, I often tell people the Bible is a book full of horrible people, not biblical heroes, because I, I think that's the wrong assessment of it, right? It's not full of virtuous models for us to behave like. It's actually full of horrible people and it shows God's faithfulness in spite of our problems and our weaknesses. And that's what I love about Kristen is that she's able to see this at the end. She's able to see that God has been faithful despite her disobedience the entire time. That's where I find my greatest hope in looking at her life is we can want to throw the book. We can get angry at her choices. And yet we're making those mistakes ourselves. And so when we look back on us, we don't have to be hopeless about all the mistakes that we're making ourselves because we can hope that somewhere God has secretly impressed his ownership on us, that we will at last go to him. So beautiful. (laughs) So we've been talking about Kristen sanctification and I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about how we can bring this home into our own lives and uh, I'm just so practical with things because you know I I love theory but then it's like okay well how good is theory you know if if it's not applied Mm. so is there a spiritual practice or practices that you think that we can do to go on a similar journey that Kristen has been on in order to to become sanctified? Yeah. I mean, this is a strange way of putting it, but reading her story becomes a spiritual practice because putting ourselves in someone else's shoes actually opens our eyes to be able to see things that are around us all the time without recognizing it. And most of our lives are these, as uh, Tish Harrison Warren talks about, liturgies of the ordinary, right? They're the daily practices that look like they're not touching upon the eternal, And yet they are. And when you read something like Kristen's story, you see where God is at work in her story because it's art. It's being crafted by an artist who is looking for those places and connecting them and drawing them together. But that training through the reading of the novel then turns us towards our own lives so that we can see moments of sanctification constantly happening so we don't miss it. And I think that much spiritual practice is about trying to have that contemplative vision regarding your own actions and why your actions matter. And so Kristen, to me, her her story gives me that eyes, you know, gives me that vision of my own life and how motherhood can be sanctifying, how nursing and pregnancy and wayward children and frustrations with my husband, how all of those things can be sanctifying. They really matter. And they're not marginal to my faith walk. They're actually central to it. Hmm. I was going to ask, and I'm glad I waited, because this this question seems apropos here. Do you think that Kristen could have become who she became at the end had Erland been less wayward, I guess you could say, like mm-hmm. more involved at home. And, you know, I mean, I know for her part, she had she had a lot of issues, Kristen. But if he had... 
I guess if he hadn't given her cause to be bitter, um, mm. which I know I understand it was on her, but you know, but her bitterness did stem from his problems from him. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so do you think that she could have gone through this sanctification quite to the point that she got, you know, because we, we think that she died a saint if she hadn't been through all those struggles? I think struggle is necessary. I don't know about the number of them. I mean, so one of the other writers that I spend a lot of time with is Flannery O'Connor. And so she writes these short stories. So you get to see one moment of grace in 15 pages. And that one moment of grace, there's an opportunity there for a character to turn towards the Lord or turn away from the Lord. And characters always in her stories, you never know which way they're going to go. I think with Kristen, every single moment that we see her struggling and enduring, she's having those moments of grace. And so if these were just a collection of short stories, she always had these opportunities to turn towards the Lord or turn away. And she just turns away repeatedly. So I don't know that she had to suffer as much as she did. And and we see this in, in lots of saints' lives. We see this in lots of other literature that moments will be very striking for these saints and where God is interceding and they see him at work and they turn towards him. And yet you see others that it's the hound of heaven and God is chasing them down and chasing them down and chasing them down, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And they don't listen until they've already gone through so much suffering um, without him. So I don't I don't think that there's a way for us to know that, but but we don't see God absent until the end of the story, right? We just see that she's not choosing to see things the way that God sees them until the end, and that that's so much a, a freedom of her choices. Mm. At the Renovar Institute, we talk a lot about willfulness versus willingness, and mm. I see that that her her turn from willfulness into willingness. Oh, I like that. I like that. I hope there's a quote somewhere because I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I'll look it up. It might yeah. just be my, the teachers that we had. Oh, yeah, I need it. I need to employ that <laughs> in my life. That is a really good paradigm shift. It is. So when you spoke at the beginning about your experience with literature and just how you read I was going to ask, but it seems applicable here with with what you responded about the spiritual practice. To me, it sounds like you read as a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. So would you mind sharing a little bit about what that looks like for you? Sure. That's actually what reading for the love of God is. (laughs) It's how to read as a spiritual practice. So I go through the entire book. I walk through exactly what that looks like as far as your time, whether you're reading silently, aloud, and in community, um, how you stress the author interpretation versus your interpretation versus the textual interpretation, uh, what roles the different senses play, literal, spiritual, tropological, anagogical, um, how that leads us through places of reading and prayer and moral living and contemplation. So the whole book is basically, how do you read as a spiritual practice and what can that look like? So it's a how-to narrative that goes through that. That's really wonderful. I think we need that right now. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me think of last night as I was reading back through some of these quotes, and I was just so like, emotional. If I'd been by myself, maybe I would have wept. But later, I have my daughter, I have one daughter, and she's just a prolific reader. And I don't know, are you a fast reader? Yes. Okay, I'm going to take a speed reading class because I'm just so slow. (laughs) I read a lot, but I'm slow. She reads about a book a day, a a novel a day. And I told her as I went upstairs, because she knew that I was a bit emotional from reading. 
And mm-hmm. she said, or I said, they're real people to me. And she was like, well, of course they are. <laughs> and that just, as she affirmed my emotions, mm-hmm. and maybe this gets back to some of what you had mentioned with how was it Augustine talked about emotions. And mm-hmm. it made me feel like I was, you know, that that that's okay. That my way of seeing that is we take story and then it inspires us to live differently, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's beautiful. I was going to just ask if you had any last words to say. No, I'm I'm so grateful that you are doing this podcast and that you were able to come on and talk about a novel in particular, because I think it's great to say that fiction forms us, but until you actually talk about the ways that it does, it's hard to see how that's real. And so hopefully this conversation was able to show people this is real and it doesn't matter if it takes you a year to read this book or You know, if you are a fast reader and you read it so quickly, it's still worth doing, even if it takes you a really long time. It's definitely worth it. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being on. I know that you're a very busy woman and I'm sure I don't know the half of it. So, (laughs) well, you have three children, so you know the half of it. (laughs) And congratulations on your upcoming one. Do you, know, oh, do you know if you're it's having a, a boy or a girl? Girl. It's a girl. Yep. Junia Magdalene. Aww. So I'm excited. So you yeah. have how many girls do you have? Uh, two other girls and a boy. And a boy. So okay. I'll have three girls and a boy. Very cool. Well, I look forward to getting to know you better in the future. And I just appreciate you giving me your time yeah, and absolutely. expertise. <laughs> well, hopefully we run into each other in real life. So Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks again to Dr. Jessica Hooten-Wilson for her wise counsel and her exhortation to read and reflect. The trilogy, Kristen Lovren's Daughter, is a good example of how we can turn to a novel, read with spiritual eyes, and then turn to our own lives and recognize that our everyday, ordinary lives are replete with sanctifying moments. In the kingdom of God, our responses to each thing and person who come our way matter. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fiction That Forms Us. To read articles, learn more about this episode's guest, as well as what we've discussed, visit fictionthatformsus.com. Connect with us on social media through Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to those also on our website. This podcast was produced by Rob Lahoda. Our theme music is All Flame from the Carolyn Ahrens album Recognition. Learn more at carolynahrens.com. May God grace us with more of his presence as we learn to fully live in the kingdom of God by aligning our will with God's will. Until next time, omnia corda inflamate, set every heart on fire.